Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Acast recommends podcasts we love. Changemakers is a new podcast series with me, Claire McKenna, talking to people who stand up, speak out, or challenge us to think a little differently. It's about the greater good, families and children, respecting their own individuality. In the next couple of years, like I hope I never have to have conversations about racism ever again. Like, I just want to get to the stage where, you know, people are just people. Nobody's pooling the resources together and actually being able to show how much of an impact it will make when people do come together. Changemakers with Claire McKenna. Search for it now wherever you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the world's best podcasts, including the David McWilliams podcast, I'm Grandmam, and the one you're listening to right now. Welcome to podcast episode 49, where you join us after a big European weekend, in which uh, Issa Nathewa threw out a message to all old, me- old men everywhere that you should not let age constrict your achievements, Josh. Certainly shouldn't. If he can still do it at, what, 350? Exactly. Old, is it? Something like that, yeah. He was, so af- he was so happy after that length of the match that he said that it was the best day of his life since the repeal of the Corn Laws. <laughs> age is no barrier on this pod, either for us presenting, well, not for Josh because he's younger than me, but for us presenting, or for you lot listening out there, we welcome all ages. This is the non-ageist mm-hmm. bloodandmud.com rugby podcast, your sweary pipe bomb yeah. of rugby knowledge. Although for, for obvious reasons, there should probably be a bottom limit of age. Oh yes, but not at all. yes, because of yeah. the swearies. We do have an explicit yes. marker on iTunes for that very reason. We do, which I think makes us look edgy. It does make us look edgy. It's E for explicit <laughs> and E for edgy. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah. and if you don't know who we are, then where the fucking mm. hell have you been until now, yeah. exactly? But Honestly. However, if you are new to this, uh, then I am Lee Calvert, editor of bloodandmud.com, and he is... And I am Josh Gardner of rugbyshirtwatch.com. Yes, you can get in touch with me and the pod at Blood and Mud, and you can get in touch with Josh... Uh, at Josh Gardner, or indeed at Rugby Shirt Watch. Lovely. Coming up, we're going to have a look at the big European weekend, I've already, as I've already mentioned. Do some mm-hmm. usual dispatching of people and things into the shit good ratings buckets. 
and we're going to have a lovely chat with Sean Wilson, a very knowledgeable South African sports radio journalist type man about what the fuck exactly is going on in South Africa because we all want to know. I sense it's sort of going to be like therapy for him a little bit. I do think he's probably been like... yeah waiting a long time to let this all out. So brace yeah, yourselves, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Mm. Thank you very much for the people who've left reviews. Uh, and I, we've had a five-star review this week, Josh. Five stars as in five-star shapes, not as in five-star as in the uh, 80s brother-and-sister pop combo. <laughs> that is reaching which for is references. A, it is reaching for references, which is a, sig- yeah. a signal moral lesson in excess, if you don't know about five-star. Mm. Look it up. Anyway, this is from... It's spelt Des Jardins, but it, that's obviously French. It's Des Jardins. And this is lovely. Mm. Listen to this, Josh. He says, I'd become a little, it's five stars, I'd become a bit jaded about rugby, but this podcast has reawoken my interest. Josh and Lee are never frightened to poke fun at the more ridiculous aspects of the game, management at board level in particular. They love the sport and are very funny, especially when at their most cynical and fed up. But they're also insightful <laughs> about players and what is really going on in various leagues. I now relish the the Cuthbert Police on Cup fixture each week and hope somebody Who one doesn't? day somebody w- will one day commission the making of this trophy. Presumably, it will have to don't, be a challenge. Don't tempt me. I know we've we we have told it, haven't we? We're gonna we're gonna have to, aren't we? I think when we go yeah. to when we go to Twickenham in February, we need to bring it yeah. with us and fill it with booze and carry it round. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great idea. Also, I'm just amazed that somebody feels jaded about rugby, listens to our podcast, <laughs> yeah, and feels that's, optimistic that's about weird. it. I somebody, mean, Jesus Christ. That's... I'm back interested in rugby again because they've beaten the misery into me more. Yeah. <laughs> But thank you very much. Just That's a lovely, that lovely review. Two wrongs can make a right. Somehow, yes. Two negative energies yeah. create a whatever, yeah. Mm. So thank you very much for that. And lastly, don't forget, you can still get some money off some booze. Ooh. Yeah. Dry fuck January. Dry, dry, just fuck that shit. Yeah. Dry January, dry schmanuary. It's an yeah. Al-Qaeda conspiracy. Don't fall for it. <laughs> Instead, <laughs> indulge in some sweet, sweet liquor by uh, using the code BLOODMUD10 at beer52.com to get your hands on some of the best craft ales and craft beer known to the UK. Yeah, you can even just wait a week or so, order it then, and then celebrate the breaking of your weird artificial dry January nonsense with uh, a shitload of tasty beer. Or my, and I really recommend this, get plenty of it in before Trump's inauguration and sit getting absolutely (laughs) battered Watching, yeah, watching the, um, watching the human Cheeto getting himself uh, in, 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 inaugurated. Is that the word? Is that a word? Is that oh, correct? I don't know. I'm sort of pretending it's not happening, really. I mean, <laughs> as with many things in life, including the state of Welsh rugby, I'm kind of just pretending it's yeah. not happening. America, by and large, it's going terribly. It's going terribly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, American people out there. Since we've, you can get this pod on Acast now, by the way. Those of you who subscribe on SoundCloud up until this point, we're not going to be on SoundCloud anymore. So please, we did have a few followers on there. So please transfer yourself over to the Acast app, which is available in all good app stores, where you can follow mm. us and you can download the podcast there. And it also, better than SoundCloud, I'll be honest, it lets you pause and come back to where you were before, which SoundCloud didn't allow you to do. Those of you on Apple, you've got no fucking worries. This will be downloaded straight to you. And please subscribe in iTunes if you're listening. Yes to us then you'll literally know the second that we're there the second that we're there literally Um, you won't wait one more minute let us that what's that a five star song 
No, systematic can't, was. Can't, can't wait another minute. That was it was can't wait another song. minute. That's a good call, Josh. Yeah. I'd forgotten that. You're younger than me as well. Do you want, is something you I want to tell me? I want to see your that. Spotify uh, stats for last year. <laughs> Um, you don't want to it's a, it's, it's a car crash you don't want to see mine it's absolutely awful I have a penchant for really bad country music and it's it, and it's only when I get the stats revealed to me the true horror of it comes through right enough of this let's anyway, talk about yes. uh, reviews of what's been going on at the weekend let's get this out of the way first Cubby Boy uh, did he or did he that's, not dive that's my noise did he dive uh, yeah, of course he did. Yeah, well, I so mean, did I said that. Like, but like, yes, like I'm sure that you know, getting sort of thumped in the face mildly by a bloke as big as Will Skelton, you probably feel that. But it was a, it was the oh, he got tickled, didn't he? He made this, yeah. and he, he was so unconvincingly stumbling and sort of falling back, and then he went down like a bag of spuds, and it was just... Yeah, and um, when you look at it, Skelton caught him with his kind of ring finger and little finger across the chin, yes. which I'm not saying you wouldn't feel. He's a big lad, Will Skelton. Yeah. Why has nobody been pointing out how shit he is, by the way? <laughs> when he signed for when he signed for Saracens, everyone was saying it was a wonderful signing. Yeah, because he's a massive person, people just seem to completely maybe he just blocks out people's thoughts about how terrible he is. But anyway, so yeah, so he hit him. He's a very talented man, but he rarely shows that on the field. Somebody did <laughs> which say is a problem for a professional sportsman. Somebody did say on Twitter, uh, "Oh, I thought it was a die." But when you look at these replays on BT Sport at twelve seconds, you'll see that when he gets caught in the face. Uh, Davis, you can see mm. his head flick to the, to the you know to the side because he's obviously been caught on the chin, which does make him fall over. It's like no, no. In real time, like... it looked like he was falling over in slow motion. Now, obviously, <laughs> that's what happened. That's what happened in the rumble in the jungle with Ali. But yes. George Foreman yeah. was definitely just going down slowly. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas that is not what happened frankly, with Cubby Boy. He didn't do it a great deal more punishment than James. <laughs> that is a Let's very good it. point. Yes, oh. it was late in the game, though. Maybe he was but just really like, tired. It was. Maybe he just really. Maybe he just fancied to lie down. We've all but been there. It's like, well, we have all been there. <laughs> but like, he is such a talented player, and he has long had this reputation as a little bit of a lovable dickhead, like sort of Andy Powell for Kamarzan, if you will. <laughs> you know, he's Andy. a bit of a character. He's a bit of an idiot, but. Classic, you know, great player, a bit of a character, winner, Western region. Yeah, and but since he got back from the Olympics, like he's not exactly covered himself in glory, is he? Like he's only this was his second game back from getting banned for the whole swearing at the ref and doing the wanker thing. <laughs> In his last fucking Champions Cup <laughs> now, game. I know you're supposed and to find he, that really upsetting and disrespectful, but I, I just found it, it really hilarious. funny. And but nobody's like denying that he got sort of tapped in the face, but like this it, feigning injury to get. And the thing that really, really wound me up about it more than anything else was that he obviously took a dive. He's not the first player to take a dive. Yeah. You won't be the last player to take a dive either, or at least to make the most of something. But then, as the ref was sending Skelton off, Davis was sort of opposite him, 
and was basically like trying to shake his hand as if to say, no odd feelings, mate. I don't, you know. And it was just like, you're getting him fucking binned, mate. You've absolutely mugged him off. And you're trying to be like shaking his hand and making out like you've forgiven him. It's like, That's you're point, being... Yeah. That just absolutely boiled my piss more than much, even more than the diving was the his pretend contrition of oh I'll be the I'll be the bigger man I'll show that it's a game for gentlemen I'll shake your hand even though you've just punched me in the face but no you've just absolutely oh yes yeah I, so massive no. dive and we're not don't holding any again. chance with, with with any of it the trouble is these things keep working don't they. Kind of hard has there to been not... has there been cards for simulation in rugby and is it even a directive? I'm I not sure it is. It is but I don't I think, think it is. I think you probably you probably comes under the unsportsman unsporting conduct or something. But yeah, I'm not sure if there is because to be honest, they, they brought it in football because they had to or they felt they had to. Yes, and rugby's always been like, well, we've never needed that in rugby because you see, we don't do things like that in rugby. We just like try and pull people's eyes out. That's far more respectful. But um, <laughs> but it's kind of um, you know, we just like smack people off the ball. That's what we do. But it's uh, but it's interesting. It'd be interesting to see what the lawmakers do about it because I think, well, to be honest, it, because, would it be a new law? Would it just case, be a clarification on the on the sporting behaviour thing? Yeah, but how would you how? How would you do that? Because you can't go to him and say, contact was made with you, but we don't think it was enough to reflect the reaction that you made. No. You know, in in football, they only really book players for diving or simulation when there is absolutely no contact at all. Hmm. And it's rare. Because yeah. Davis was hit in the face, rugby. wasn't he? Yeah, he was hit in the face. It's and when it. you see players making the most of it in rugby, you know, players that sort of throw their arms up in the air when they think they've been taken out off the ball when they're chasing. There is contact. Hmm. They just make the absolute fucking most of it. You know, the damn bigger against England thing before the um, the summer tours being a textbook example hmm. where he sort of remonstrated like a motherfucker because he thought he'd been taken out and impeded. And yeah, it's very. It would be a very hard job, I think, for any referee or any TMO or any sighting commissioner to. And I think that's what the upsetting thing is, that. isn't it? Because you've always said, well, actually, you've got to look. I, you know, anybody who's played rugby knows that you kind of. There's an element of I want to be able to look at myself in the mirror in the morning. And <laughs> yeah. and, and, and doing and... that kind of performance, it, it might it might buy me a red card. It might do something for my team. But there's an element of. I want to be able to look myself in the mirror in the morning. And I think yeah. that's the really worrying or sad thing, really. If it starts to creep in, that means that's going out of the game. And it's not about it's not about what you can gain. It's about you internally going, you know what? I'm not going to do that because that's an absolute twat trick. Yeah, and it's an inherent sort of appreciation of sportsmanship, isn't it? You know, yes. that rugby does pride itself on. It is that sort of notion that, yeah, you can. You know, how are you supposed to shake the hand of a player and have a beer with him after the game after he's spent eighty minutes trying to, not just trying to beat the living shit out of you, but also yeah. then feigning injury, doing everything he can yeah. to try and make you look a twat? Because that's the thing with look a bastard. The thing with the reason why you could always do that after the game is because you knew you were both doing the same thing, 
I might have tried yes. to smack you, but you would have tried to smack me. I might have exactly. put my hands in the ruck when I shouldn't have done and won a penalty, but you would have done exactly the same thing. When you drifted into this, it's all actually, no, mate, I wouldn't have done that. And, and yeah. you're a twat. And you lo- <laughs> so, you know, so yeah. that's... And it's like how with the, with the, that, you know, and very, you know, Pascal Pape was the other one that's made a lot of headlines recently. You know, with him taking a blatant di- uh, fall yeah. against Edinburgh. Yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. How can you, you know, players develop a reputation? You can't expect quickly. Pascal Pape to stand up for himself, though, can you? He hasn't got the minerals <laughs> just, or the, the physical presence to be standing up for himself. He's a tiny man, a tiny <laughs> little man. But yeah. The, you look at and you must think other pros must look at those guys and just think, yeah, all right, you're a bit of a dick, aren't you? Yeah. And I'm sure they'll be perfectly civil, but it will erode that. Yeah. If that becomes more widespread, the camaraderie of rugby will be rapidly eroded with it. Yeah, and that would be a very as much as we can all we can, you know it's it's easy to mock rugby's um, moral superiority. Massively, so. it's easy, yeah. and God knows we've done it. I think I might have done it before I said this, <laughs> but the point is, is that it is different in that because you do it's self policing in many ways. And actually, yeah. to be honest, Kobe Boy's own team should be fucking telling him. You yeah. know, that's fucking that out of order. Sort of, and that's kind of why the Scarlets came out and were like basically threatening to sack uh, James Davis after the whole. Oh, doing yeah, the wanker sign the yeah, yeah, thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. which was hilarious because of course they weren't, and also because it just embarrassed everybody involved, including them. And they haven't said a thing about this, and it's probably because they, if they say something about it, then they'll probably you know incur some sort of investigation from World Rugby, hmm. whatever. But you do think that they should maybe have the minerals to stand up and go. We think that this isn't acceptable, and we will be having a word with the player to remind him that his conduct is not to be doing shit like this on the pitch because he's developing a reputation for doing all of the wrong things. Now, my the Twitter I've seen since Saturday was it Saturday happened? It was, wasn't it? Um, uh, has, yeah. has been fairly consistent saying this is completely out of order. But any Scarlets fans out there, what do you think? Are we being a bit too harsh on him here? Is it just one of those things? Is he not going to be like that? Continue. What would you like to see your club do about it? Let us know. Let's talk about the games then, the actual mm. games. Let's talk about that yes. game, which was a fantastic yeah. result on one level for Scarlet, yeah. but also a completely heartbreaking a good... one. And they should have it won it. Really good performance, wasn't it? Yeah. But I mean, you've got to look at the budgets at the end of the day and the playing resources involved. Because even though that wasn't the strongest Saracens team they could possibly have fielded, it was still a Saracens team that was full of a lot of very good players. Yeah. Plus it's Saracens, it doesn't matter. No, exactly. You ever seen that Dilbert, and... that Dilbert comic where the bloke goes in to see the finance department and there's that big thing sat on a throne and he says, are you a man or a woman? He says, it doesn't matter, I'm in finance. <laughs> Which is basically yeah. what Saracens is. Are you are you first team or are you backup player? It doesn't matter, we are doesn't Saracens. Matter. Saracens, yeah. <laughs> And yeah, so for you know, given that the Scarlets are probably operating on about you know a third, optimistically, of the playing budget that um, Saris have to operate at, you know, I I don't I agree with the people who say that it's wrong that the Scarlets should be celebrating that like a win because they pissed it away. They should have won that game mm. happily. 
And know, what pisses me they, off, I was going to come to this later, but I'll come to it now, is the way the Pro 12 dealt with it afterwards. The Pro 12's official Twitter account mm. said, and I don't know if I'm really, you know, maybe it's me being a bit miserable here, but said, devastated for Scarlet's rugby, fair enough, but a performance to be proud yeah. of, immense in defence attack, you've done the Celtic nations proud. Now, that, it just seems to me like that's, accepting all of that, what you just said, that's the official, one, they don't even mention Italy, which seems a bit out of order. Two, <laughs> the whole Celtic nations thing does my head in as if you won brotherhood, when you, as we've established on previous episodes, you actually despise each other. And yes. um, not as much as you despise us, obviously, but you do. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But it's this, it's like an entrenched inferiority that's actually even part of the PR well, he's just so mealy mouth as well. Because it's like Beep. doing the Celtic Nations proud is what Munster have been doing this season. Well, that's interesting it's as well what because Leinster have been doing this season. Tom BB got in touch at Blood and Mud uh, on Twitter, and he said, "I can't really see that sort of patronising tweet being directed at Munster or Leinster if they get a draw against the Reviva Premiership team." Absolutely not. And I think that's the goal. Think... That's what really made you think. Well, hang on a minute, you shouldn't be really be doing this. And do you know what that is? And I don't want to sort of get too political about this, but this is some social media bloke in Dublin basically thinking, I will give the Scarlets a pat on the head here. (laughs) I think that's what really pisses me off about it, yeah. Yeah, it's basically... And I'm not even a Scarlets fan there. The Welsh team has tried. Let's, Let's give them a pat on the head for not completely shitting themselves. And... That's, I mean, it is massively condescending, but... Yes. Yeah. But they should have tied that game up. Oh, they should have won it. You know, they had a man advantage and they won the key penalty that should have cleared their lines and they should have been done with it and they defended so well all day. And then they just, you know, obviously Ashton's a class player, Owen Farrell's a class player. You don't want to give them... Ashton was just bad. being brilliant again. That's what he does, isn't it? He, it's that angle he, he runs. It's so he simple. Guesses. He just runs that yeah. support angle with perfect yeah. timing. And then again, if it's so simple, why does no other fucker do it then? <laughs> yeah. Well, what he is his basic career pattern is be brilliant, get banned. Yeah. Come back, be instantly brilliant again. Yes. Get banned. It's the, it's the, it's, the, if it's the brilliant it's, weird, it's the brilliant to Bellendery ratio, which I've done a post of on the on the on the Absolutely. on the blog. It's uh, like stretching an elastic band as far as it'll go, yeah. and then it just snaps back to Bellend. Yeah. Right, leaving that behind, then let's have a look at. Yes. I want to talk about Leinster yeah. versus Montpellier, mainly mm. because a lot Zebri took a lot of shit. Literally, you know, because they got hammered. And then they also hmm. took a lot after the game saying, once again, what a waste of time it is there in the competition. And we've had that argument before. But I draw... I mean, yes, it is. However, yes, it is. Yeah. And, and But however, draw back to Northampton have been battered this season as well. But at least what you can say about Zebri is, is that they actually bothered to try. Yeah. Which is I mean, what Montpellier was... signally did not do. On Friday, yeah, I mean, and I would, and is that more disrespectful than having a team that's not good enough but actually fucking gives a shit about it? And I think it's not just Montpellier either. I think you look at a lot, pretty much all of the French teams away from home 
with the exception of perhaps Claremont, have by and large turned up and not fucking bothered. Mm. And that is just, I mean, they based they fuck they ruined the Heineken Cup for this fucking tournament that they wanted so badly. <laughs> and now you can't even be asked. And now you can't. Well, yeah, they can't even be. They they wanted all their teams in there. They got rid of the fucking. You know, a Scottish team and a Welsh team, just so they could have more of their fucking teams in there, and they don't even fucking bother to do it. It's like, yes, okay, the Morley Stain thing m- meant that they were unlikely to win that game, mm. but how many games this season have we looked at and gone well, somehow this team managed to pull out a win with fourteen men playing for sixty, yeah. seventy minutes? Because it's becoming because teams are so fucking used to playing with a man down these days, it's becoming a little bit like football, that they're getting better at playing with 14 and they're getting better at defending with 14. Hmm. And a committed team could have actually maybe got something out of that. Maybe not a win, but they could have uh, at least shown a bit of fucking gumption. A lot of people are waxing about the Leinster performance and it was delicious in many ways. They were very good. But against that, you know, it was like running against those standing men at the sea in Merseyside, those... statues (laughs) statues <laughs> that just stay there while the sea wipe goes over their head it was basically like that it was a bit like the end of cape fear where robert de niro stands there <laughs> while the water comes over his head that's what basically like one one pelier were like for that They're entire game yeah they just stood there while this while they got drowned they were like those weird like sort of things that they have outside of car dealers in america those inflatable things that just wave their arms in the air that was, <laughs> yeah, that, that was, was it, 15 yeah. of them they sort of moved around a little bit and they but there was absolutely no organizational coherency there at all um and yeah it was just it was a pathetic effort and it's not the first pathetic effort from a french team away from home we've seen no. and we know that in the top 14 they can't be bothered most of the time but there's a kind of agreement there though isn't there there's a kind of look we'll be shit when we come to you you be shit when you come to us and you know we'll sort it out in the playoffs it's kind of yes that's basically it isn't it but that's not how the champions cup works because if you don't get points away from home you're not going to get out of your group and that's why we're in a state now where what claremont are very possibly the only French team that's going to make it to the knockouts, I think. And even they only look like I mean, they were like Claremont, you know, I mean, when, I didn't when they can be the bothered. Game because, and I didn't even watch the highlights because it was 9-6. But, I mean, they're not exactly tearing up. They were very good against Ulster a couple of weeks ago, but... Yeah. Again, that, that was at against, home. Yes. Yeah. But the game against Bordeaux Begler was, you know... That, when you look at that... Shit. Bordeaux Begler really don't care. Really, really don't care. Literally couldn't give less of a shit. Um, and you look at and you look around. Castro couldn't give less of a shit. Toulon looked like they barely gave a shit. Let's be honest. Yes. Although they do look much better with uh, Matkito at twelve, at ten rather. Again, finally. Yes. Like they're kind of pulling it together. Well, if you look at that game, really. Yeah, but even so, the best Toulon can hope for now is to sneak a best runner-up spot, and that's by winning away at Saracens, which is good luck with that. <laughs> uh, looking at, um, let's talk about Wasps. Speaking of French t- teams, who well, they played one. They played Toulouse, obviously. Yeah. They're, they're, they're loving it's... it, Wasps, at the minute, aren't they? Well, yeah. they, they, they I mean, it was a bit of a get-out-of-jail-free, wasn't it? Because 
they were struggling to deal with the intensity of Toulouse up front. They were. And that is, that is once again a bit of a alarm bell for Wasps at the business end of this season because that's a couple of weeks on the bounce now where they have looked fairly powder puff. Did you see he was on the bench for us, by the way? Uh, No, who? Our our friend Ed Shervington. Do you remember Ed Shervington? Ah, Ed. What did Ed Shervington do? Ed Shervington retired. I'll tell you what he didn't do. He's not a West End He's obviously not become a West End superstar, has he? So they've had to get him back on the bench. fallen back onto rugby. He's fallen back onto his family's egg business and rugby. Anyway. I mean, if as fallback options go, it's not bad, is it? No, but I mean, basically, Wasps, yeah, they got pushed around a bit up front. But then again, that mm. Simpson-Robson choice at nine yes. seems to be doing a lot of, a lot for them. Whichever one you start, well, whichever one you bring on seems to make a difference. They've got arguably two of the best nines in England. Who can't get near an England shirt. Can't get near an England shirt. And yeah, that's a pretty bloody good problem to have, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, Robson, yes, Eastman, and Halai coming players. off the bench, yeah, which is not a bad bench really. But then again, then no, you looked at the, then you looked at the forwards on the bench: Shervington, McIntyre, Swainson, Simmons, Gaskell, who's all right. Gaskell, mm. I said by the way, just to clarify. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's. I just think that they're just too lightweight and they're not nearly nasty enough, which is so weird because Die Young is both of those, the opposite of both of those things in that he is heavyweight and nasty. <laughs> yes. And it's so weird that his pack has none of that. Um, and has spunked all this money on really, really, really amazing backs. Well, it's 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 an approach. It's an approach, and we will see, we will see. exactly how that's going to pan out. Glasgow Munster. See, now, this is the weekend where I genuinely started to think that Munster are going to win the Champions Cup this year. That because they just they completely nullified Glasgow as an attacking force completely. away from home. Completely, and that was I mean Glasgow probably had the ball solidly through decent phased possession, certainly for the first twelve minutes of the game, and never looked like doing anything. I remember watching it going. I remember thinking as I was watching it, if they don't come away with some points here, this is a nightmare, and they just didn't. No. And the monster defense in particular is just unbelievable. Well, it is re- it's re- it's incredibly well organized and it's absolutely relentless. And that is the th- each week they start to feel a little bit more like old monster and the defense is the real difference for me I think. Like cuz they've they've always been quite sort of, you know, unspectacular but relatively efficient in attack. But mm. the defense, the intensity and the the nastiness of that pack, like the only team that's really comparable to it that I've seen this year is Saracens, in, and they're a very similar team in a lot of ways. Mm. You know, Sarri's a very sort of clinical, opportunistic, functional in attack, and an absolute monster on defence uh, in the pack. I just think I, I don't know how what Much... the permutations of it happening in the knockouts, but any meeting between those two teams would probably tilt the world on its axis. Because, <laughs> Much was made of um, uh, Glasgow's all-Scottish 
starting all Scotland international start starting fifteen, and my God, didn't they just lose exactly like an all Scotland international starting fifteen? <laughs> oh yes. Um, People talk I mean, about games being won on small margins, don't they? Sorry, you were saying something wrong. Yeah, well, it's, just, it's as you say, it's talk about pissing it away. Like you don't want to pull somebody out and say this is all your fault, but. Finn Russell, man, like <laughs> what a talented player he is, a phenomenally talented player. But there's no point but, in being a talented player if you have no talent in knowing how to actually well, quarterback your side to a win in the last 10 minutes. Yeah, you, if you have a guilt-ed chance to win a game and you don't even go for it in the first place, not even that you miss it, hmm. but you don't even attempt it. Like I get, he said after the game he was trying to milk a little bit more off the clock, but in a game like that, like they'd only he, scored fucking twelve points. He wasn't like he wasn't helped. You have a shot. He wasn't helped either by, and I think he's not enough to be made about how much of a balls up Ali Price has scrum half made because when Price looked at him to say, "Do you want it?" and Russell said, mm. "No, go again." Immediately after that, if memory serves, Price threw a miss two from the base of the rook. <laughs> No, yeah. sorry, he missed one. He yeah. threw it to the second man. He threw a miss one from the base of the rug, yeah. which completely and utterly took the ball away from the middle of the field, away from the Where support, did it, did it to be? Yeah. and just completely ruined their shape. Then they had to try and yeah. work it back, and then obviously it went wrong. It was just, ter- it was just terrible communication, wasn't it? And, yeah. I mean, but you don't need to communicate to was... Scrum Half to say, don't fucking fling it 40 metres, so we're completely out <laughs> of the way. It was like Price took, I don't want it yet. As I don't want it at all. Or get it ever. as far away from me as possible. Yeah. Basically, yeah. But like, I mean, we, as part of like, I mean, I don't know why Russell in that position would say no, not yet, because he was literally what twenty meters out in front of the posts. Hmm. It could not have been like. It was like mental disintegration, and I yeah, think, and like, I think, I think literally had meant. I think that bandage was holding his brain in. <laughs> and as time went on, bits of his brain were starting to ooze out, and the kind of spatial yeah, awareness yeah. and decision-making part was the bit that fell out first, maybe. But I mean, part of it is almost certainly down to the fact that, as we've discussed many times on this podcast, the noble art of the drop goal is exactly. dying on its arse. Nobody's confident and, enough to say, "Give me the yeah, fucking ball, not, and I'll knock it no, over for you." Yeah, yeah like I'm, I'm seriously though. I'm not just talking to him. Like modern fly halves in general. You're 20 metres out, the game's on the line, you're directly in front of the posts, you should be able to knock over a you fucking You should be saying, goal give me the ball, the and I'm going to get three yeah. of the easiest points you can get your hands on. Yeah, and it doesn't get much easier than that. And, uh, yeah, it was okay. very frustrating, because I did kind of want Glasgow to win that game, because I think that they were probably, they probably shaded it in terms of play over the course of the 80 minutes, but Munster just had more of that quality that is, you know, fictional, hmm. whatever you call it, chutzpah, balls, <laughs> composure, I don't know. Yeah. Now they they're, just, they're just, they're nastier in the right way. Glasgow yeah. being quite nasty, hitting Conor Murray quite a lot, quite late, to be yeah, fair. Yeah, that was a bit but, much. And that's wrong kind of nasty, because that doesn't do any good, yeah. uh, whereas Munster did. Right, let's, we're not going to talk about the Challenge Cup, apart from uh, the, obviously, legendary Cuthbert Police on Cup. Well, of course, I mean, now, now we were all praying, weren't we? Desperate we were for, for this, for for this to get for Gloucester to lose. Sorry, Gloucester fans, but we were praying yeah. quite a lot for Gloucester to lose. But it really didn't happen. But again, the CPC throws up these 
you know, stories you could never write. So now this, see, this is how you get your tenure as holder of the Cuthbert Police on Cup kicked off in in real style. So, <laughs> so, so Saturday afternoon, I think two o'clock, they were supposed to be playing Gloucester at home, um, but the pitch was frozen. You know, it happens, um, especially when you've you know not got a lot of facilities you've not got a lot of, of of money to spend on fancy pitch warmers or whatever so they were talking postponement but Teresa say oh no we will not have the postponement of the cup of police on cup today oh no our training grounds up the road that's got a 3g pitch on it i mean we could we could just play it there and so yeah so they go so they go to i think it's two and a half miles up the road to their training pitch and the 700 fans that bothered to turn up for the game um, then had to stand around the outside of the pitch like they were watching a school's third 15 game <laughs> and promptly watch, promptly watch them lose 45-0 at home to Gloucester. <laughs> I mean... Oh, that is true, just brilliant, isn't it? It's that just is amazing. true clown car incompetence. <laughs> this could be something really special for Shitwatch, let's face it. We thought that we couldn't reach greater depths than, you know, the mud bath that was Rodney Parade the other week in terms of poor oh, no. um, provision for, poor. For, for such a grand fixture. But yes, we've, we've but plumbed new depths. <laughs> getting, saying, here, lads, cut the training pitch. It's 3G, it'll be fine. No, just professional <laughs> rugby team. I know they're talking about getting rid of Zebra at the end of the season, but this is just... Yes. This is some bad shit. Or some good shit, depending on how you look at it. I mean, to be fair, I say, no, no, no. I'm not having you coming back in a few weeks when we're fighting not to finish <laughs> bottom of the Pro 12. We're doing this now. I don't care where we're doing it. We're doing it. Even if it's jumpers for goalposts, we're doing it. We're getting this out of the way now. <laughs> we're getting this paste out of the way. Right? Can you imagine how much they weren't up for going on that field? Oh, God. Like, and it, it, I mean, it showed in the scoreline. But the photos of it are brilliant because it is literally like a professional rugby team has touched down on your local playing field. <laughs> and there's just a little railing around the outside with, you know, yeah. about 700 people just sort of standing there watching the game. But the, it happens to be Richard Hibbard and Ross Moriarty <laughs> and James Hook. It's so fucking odd. While we're on the Cuthbert Police on Cup, we're about a year mm. into it now. So I decided yeah. that I'd, I'd try and compile some stats on what we're, where, where, where we're up to. And um, what I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, and you, Josh, is that the Cuthbert mm. Police on Cup in the last 12 months started with Treviso back on the 18th of January and is now back mm. with Treviso. It has changed hands 13 times in the past year. However, that it's is... only changed hands between seven clubs. <laughs> Those seven clubs are uh, Bath, Edinburgh, Cardiff, Ulster, Treviso, Zebri, Dragons. They are the seven See, holders there, of the cup. There are names that stand out there. There are some names be. that stand out that really shouldn't be in there, aren't there? Uh, yeah. the, the the team that's had it the most number of times, Josh, who's that? Can you remember? I think it's, isn't it Cardiff? It is Cardiff with three, three times, times. Three times. What's the team who've held it for the greatest number of days in total? Oh, See, I want to say Zebra, but the Dragons had it for a whole summer, didn't yeah. they? Zebra have had it. It is the Dragons because they've had it for 136 days, but that did include the off season. 
Yeah, which is a little unfair, but, but fuck Well, it. they should have taken it more fucking seriously, shouldn't they? They should have, yeah. They shouldn't have lost that. Imagine how long Zebra would have had it if they'd have not fucked yeah. that game up. Zebra had, Zebra had it for 113 days. <laughs> it's ironic that Chorizo, having started this whole thing off, only actually held the CPC for just over a month, really, I guess. Well, they had it for 26 days at the beginning before yes. they handed it over to Cardiff, and now they've had it for 10 days since the right. 6th of January. Well, they obviously lost so, the yeah. dragons. So yeah, so there you go. That's it in the in the past year. Bath only had it for Bath are the best ones. They've only had it for five days in that quick turnaround <laughs> before they smashed the shit out of Cardiff a week later. Cardiff had it for thirty three days. Only three days less than Treviso. It's crazy. That's isn't a lot. It? You know, they've Blues fans, you should be seriously ashamed of your club. It just goes to show that they just. They they get it, but they don't hold on to it. You know, they hold on to it for an average of eleven days per attempt. Whereas yeah. you look at, but if it keeps like, going like this, know, it's going to keep going, isn't it? They're going to keep getting it at some point. They need to pack this in. Yeah. Whereas the dragons hold it for like what sixty, seventy days per attempt. That's the dragons know, have had really it. Bad. They had it for one hundred twenty-five days the first time they had it. You see. Yeah. And then they've had it for. 11 days. It was that first one. It's that summer one that killed them. Yeah, it did. It's Zebra that are a problem. They have it for like 64 days, then 49 days. <laughs> I, I've got a funny feeling that Chorizo might hold on to this one for, for a, little a little while, while, you know. For a little while. As long as they don't hand it over to Zebra, as I keep saying, Zebra cannot end the season with it because then Zebra it die, probably it won't exist It goes into the ether, that. yeah, it's no good. Right, yeah. so there you go. Cuthbert Police on Cup, ladies and gentlemen. The shit watch. It's still Treviso. Hashtag as it was before. Hashtag Treviso shit watch. Ten days. Something gloriously retro about that. Something gloriously retro about it. So there you go. There's some stats with the Cuthbert Police on Cup. Mm. Acast recommends podcasts we love. Changemakers is a new podcast series with me, Claire McKenna, talking to people who stand up, speak out or challenge us to think a little differently. It's about the greater good, families and children respecting their own individuality. In the next couple of years, like I hope I never have to have conversations about racism ever again. Like, I just want to get to the stage where, you know, people are just people. Nobody's pooling the resources together and actually being able to show how much of an impact it will make when people do come together. Changemakers with Claire McKenna. Search for it now wherever you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the world's best podcasts, including the David McWilliams podcast, I'm Grandmam, and the one you're listening to right now. Now, let's talk about the shit good ratings. Yes, And then we'll have a chat with Sean from South Africa. Um, I've lost where my page is. Right. Um, Shit good ratings. Shit. David Jenkins got in touch on Twitter and said, Lester. Yeah, that didn't go well, did it? It really didn't go well at all. It's all well and good getting dicked by a good side like Munster away from home, but getting dicked by a very, very average hashtag slash bad team like Racing away from home is, uh, yeah. And they're not really experiencing the new new coach bounce, are they? Let's put it that way. No, I mean, you've got to wonder if... If maybe Cockrell wasn't the only problem there. No. Anything from you? Uh, yes. The Challenge Cup. Yeah, we've not really brackets, talked about it, apart from the shit watch. Ball. Well, therein, therein lies the thing. Like, I bear in mind, I say this as a fan of a team currently at the very top of the entire competition standings mm. of Europe's second-tier cup competition, but what on earth is the fucking point of it, really? Like, 
we don't like nobody cares about it journalists no. don't care about it broadcasters no. don't care about it like the broadcasters can't even be bothered to fucking show it they pay money for it and then like i think it's bt and sky forget that they have it a lot of the time because bt like sky have got what fucking five sports channels hmm. bt have got like four and they're showing like you know replays of fucking Premier League's greatest goals for the ninetieth time. Or like Golden State Warriors versus the Timberwolves from the twenty twelve well, NBA season or something like that. Oh well, yeah, something like that. And it's like, you know, there are big teams and well supported teams playing in the competition. There's Quinns, there's Gloucester, yeah. there's Bath, there's Look, Cardiff. It's so there's bad. BT Sport got me to talk about it on the telly. Just think <laughs> about how shit they must rate that competition. They got me yeah. in to talk about it on the telly. <laughs> yeah, but, it's, it's a but disgrace. This is the thing they—they just—if they actually just showed it, maybe it would be less of a fucking nonsense. And if they can't be bothered to show it, then why don't they just sell the rights to someone who will—a terrestrial broadcaster mm. that would actually be really excited about having some fucking live rugby? But you know, which terrestrial broadcaster will be excited about having the Challenge Cup? This is the problem. Well, Not even like daytime it's... Channel Five would be interested in it. I don't think this is the problem. Well, that's the thing. Somebody like ITV, though, you know, ITV have a lot of success with that big highlights show they do every week. They do. So how, you know, the chance to show teams like Quinns, Gloucester, Bath. And they are you know, building a bit Cardiff, of a home Ospreys. on for rugby, aren't they, ITV? I think they're pitching themselves at this. Yeah. So, what, you know, the chance to show those teams live, you know, it basically becomes like the FA Cup where, you know, the BBC gets excited for the chance to... Show hmm. fucking Man United for a change, when really is no you know. Did you see the shit. Did you but, see the trailer for the Six Nations speaking of the BBC? I haven't. No, is it over the top? Well, no, it's that it's usual thing about you know, drag. It's that thing with Wales where they basically show a massive dragon, and then they had Shirley Bassey and Tom Jones talking about <laughs> because it's like who does? I mean, when they have the research meeting about this, what can we put on for Wales? Tom Jones and Shirley Bassey, <laughs> yeah. Pub and a Let's dragon. Go then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, should we go to pub then? Yeah, Six. it's just yeah. so fucking lazy. I'm not even Welsh, and it's... I'm annoyed about it. No, it's it's and it's they're so melodramatic these days because oh, it's, it's all the BBC's got now, and they haven't even got all the Six Nations. They've got you know <laughs> the fucking vestigial tale of the Six Nations, yes. but uh, yeah. yeah. So calm down, everybody. Speaking of sport. Media, I've got Stuart Barnes in my shit. It's a perennial uh, one. He comes up, doesn't he? He's standing item. He was yeah. particularly bad this week because it was hilarious because I think the first scrum packed down for the Munster game. And mm. it's and the, there was a stat in the corner as he was speaking which said, scrums won an own putting. Uh, Glasgow, 93%. Munster, 87%. Mm. And Stuart Barnes went, Munster... One of the best scrums in the competition this year. Absolutely incredible. So it says there in the bottom of the screen <laughs> that they can't win yeah. more than 90% of their own putting. And then he went off on yeah. some wrong, wrong rambling thing about how the statistics don't tell you everything and how they've been incredible. I mean, you know, yes, I agree with that. But he completely could shoot, shot, uh, fucked that up completely. And then about five minutes later, he kept talking about how the uh, Munster players, the, the Munster scannel, really needed to get his line-out throwing sorted on this one because he'd already had two missed ones. And he just watched the Munster guy walk it into touch. It was a Glasgow who were throwing it in. <laughs> he's just, honestly, it's like, he's, he either talks like he's still watching the game like it's 2003 permanently, 
or he just completely loses it and tries to cover his tracks. I'm sure he's just drinking pints of sherry in the in the. I don't entirely know what's going on with that. There was a time when he was just irritating, but now he's broadly wrong and irritating. And yeah, baffling. He's like irritatingly yeah, baffling it's now. Like, <laughs> it's like he's not really paying attention to what's going on. Speaking of which, yeah. uh, the Toulouse defence is, is one of my shits <laughs> of not paying attention to what... Seriously. When it's like the dying set, you're winning a game away from home in the Champions Cup, it's probably a good idea not to completely fucking switch off on your own try line. Like, it's yeah. just one of the most appallingly... Like, from experienced players as well. Like, guys, come on. But that just links in again. Uh, it's something that we've mentioned that, that we talked about before we came on, which you'd mentioned, which is the conditioning of French rugby teams. Oh, God. I mean, they were bad in general. Straight in but... the shit ratings. Yeah, I was looking at... I was watching Saints um, Castron... Uh, Saturday morning, afternoon time, whatever the fuck it was on. Um, and the cast forwards were blowing after not even 20 minutes of very well, They're all mundane, the same. Montpellier looked the same. Montpellier looked the same. They um, all did, like, they, Toulouse they're are so massive mass- and fat. Toulon, yeah, even their backs huge. are enormous. They're so preoccupied with just getting massive fucking bodies and just scrummaging for 80 minutes that... When anybody starts to run them around a tiny bit, they're fucking knackered. And they can't be bothered. It's like some, It's yeah. like they've traded in their conditioning coaches for, for burger vans and a Mogadon <laughs> pharmacy dispensary in the changing room so they can just eat themselves stupid and then take a load of sort of mind-altering <laughs> sleeping pills or something. It's incredible. What's, remar- what's sort of alarming to me is I watch that and I look at the conditioning of French teams and then I think... Wales's conditioning coach works in the top fourteen, and then I think Bobby, Wales's conditioning is Bobby fucking terrible. Yes, and then I think Wales's conditions looked fucking terrible over the last eighteen months, and then I start to put two and two together, and I get sad, mm. and I try not to think about it anymore. Uh, other shit was uh, Will Livesey mm. got in touch on Twitter at Blood and Mud and said shit was Quinns again. I thought we were yeah. supposed to be good at home, but no, we lost to Edinburgh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't really understand where that came from either, to be honest. I don't understand it's Edinburgh or Quinns, full stop. They're, no, just, they're just a very confusing two club pair of clubs this year. Which in many ways makes their sort of tete-a-tete in the Challenge Cup quite entertaining, really. Did you see the mag- like two teams where I have literally no idea what's going on. <laughs> did you see the magnificent tackle by the ref, though? In that game, I did. He absolutely laid him out, he didn't properly, he? Oof. No arms in the tackle, absolutely yeah. smashed him. The black Breathless. and red uh, drew my attention to that on Twitter. Thank you very much for that. Any more shit from you? Uh, obvious, but Mornay Stain, that right there, I think is why. Was World it France Stain? Isn't it France Stain, not Mornay Stain? Oh, no, France Stain, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Mornay Stain hasn't done anything this weekend except no. probably be incredibly boring. Probably be very um, boring and kick things, be brought in yes. to solve a problem that nobody yes. knew existed. <laughs> yeah, but France Stain, um, wow. That was ugly. And I can't, Just... I, speaking of ugly, I can't believe how unrecognisable he is these days. I'd kind of not paid much attention to him for a little while. And then he comes yeah, he's on screen. About three stone in a, of course. Not a very good way. <laughs> Of course, <laughs> and he looks like he looks like a kind of Montana separatist conspiracy theorist. He looks like he should he be does. up in a ma- up in a hat, a hut somewhere, carrying an automatic machine gun to try and stay away yeah. from the federal government. 
And the way he remonstrated with the ref after he'd rightly <laughs> shown him a red card was kind of in keeping with that persona, really. It was like, yeah, then why are you yeah. arguing? You abs- you took his fucking head off. Yeah, I'm not and... I'm not actually going to pay any attention to your Bilderberg group-inspired red cards, referee. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, was, I must say, though, I wasn't mad keen either to, on the decision to send a player with Sexton's horrible, awful concussion history back on after that. No, well, well, there was a couple of those under this weekend. It took a while to yeah. get people sorted. I don't want to... I mean, I'm I'm trying to err on the these medics are professionals and they probably know best side, but mm. it is a little bit worrying, isn't it? Should we do good? We probably should, shouldn't we? Yeah. I think we both um, agreed on this one. Was Luke Pierce? Yeah. I mean, in spite of... The fact that everyone finds it boring, we do spend a lot of time talking about how shit refs are, and we hate it as well. Let's be honest. Yes. Um, so it is worth drawing attention. Yeah, marvelous to performance. As a like, I think particularly it was such a high intensity game, and it was such a physical game, mm. and in particular the decision around the hog yellow card, yep. try no try thing. He got it exactly every. Yeah. There were so many moving and parts to that, that, and he got every yeah. one of them right. And that's one of the purposes of when the TMO and seeing his decision making process makes it much better for the fan. He actually Confessed, walked you through yes. the decision making process in a really sensible yeah. way, which is amazing given the fact he looks prepubescent. I think he's actually about eleven. So, which <laughs> yeah, is, I was going with twelve and a half, but yeah. And the worrying thing 11. was because when you watched last weekend and then you saw some people have been penalised for other things. You start to think the only people who can referee correctly under these new laws is Goldilocks. That's too high. <laughs> that's too low. That one is just right. Yeah. And actually, he did I mean, a really good because there were high shots in that game, and he penalised yeah. them. He said, "No, that wasn't that wasn't deliberate. That was that." And he, they got penalised, and that's fine. Nobody really has a problem with that, do they? Absolutely. So I suppose actually, if people keep refing the way he was refing, these new directives are no problem whatsoever. I think in I don't know about you, but I'm pretty convinced that after all of the fucking shambles of last week, maybe World Rugby sent out some revised guidelines mm. this week because I think they listened to this I pod and, and caught yeah, themselves it, oh, on but all that. I mean, let's face it, but they seemed in general to be using much more of that rarely seen commodity of common sense and empathy, which yes. instantly made these new head things perfectly reasonable. Because it's like, yeah, an accidental, you know, touch to the side of the head isn't going to cause any issues. But obviously, if there's any kind of dangerous recklessness, then they will. And that, I think we're all fine with that. Yeah. You know, the the, sext, the Sexton thing was a reminder that we really don't want to see players getting fucking smashed upside the head like that. Because no. it's fucking ugly and it's horrible and it's just... Ugh. And it doesn't make you feel very good about watching the game. And we want to get rid of that. But yeah, if they but can do fair it. play to him, Luke Pierce. Are very, yeah. very, and, obviously, and actually, you know, you talk about, people talk about keeping an eye on this talented player. Keep an eye on talented refs. He's, he's obviously Absolutely. young. Yeah. I mean, I was joking before, but he's, 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 he's able, he's young, he's going to be around for a long time. And if that's anything to go by, he's a yeah. very good prospect for the international game of rugby. People don't yeah, talk about that often enough, do they? No, because the simple. I often worry about this because I think, what the fuck is going to happen when Wayne Barnes and Nigel Owens retire? <laughs> because the world will the belong only... to Johnny Lacey. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's a thought for all of you, ladies and gentlemen. The world will belong to Johnny Lacey, a man who looks yeah. like he's who has the demeanour of a man who's wandered into shop behind a news broadcast by accident. <laughs> 
Uh, it's John oh. Lacey's world. We're just living in it. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that very good on that one. Anything else from yeah. you, John? Uh, good. Uh, sh- standing item. But Charles fucking Piotr, man. Seriously. Ulster have somehow lost eight in the last 12. And I don't think how they've... I don't know if they've done that when they've got a player of such ridiculous talent. Mm. Like, I mean, both his tries were lovely in the loss to Exeter, but the first try was, in basketball parlance, an absolute leg breaker. Like, yeah, he got Jack Noel so twisted up, I think he ended up in Cornwall. But uh, he just keeps being the best player in Europe. And regardless of what goes on around him. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, it's very frustrating because he is probably, if he doesn't win European player of the year, it's because Ulster aren't going past the fucking group stages because he is the best player in Europe, in my opinion, but he's not going to get a chance to showcase it on the stage that he should be able to which is a very big shame. Rich uh, got in touch on Twitter and said that um, Scott Williams was very good. Yes. Uh, and and I think anybody who wonders who should be in the 12 shirt for Wales, given Jamie Roberts' general loss of form, should just watch that game and go, you know what? It's probably him, isn't it? It is. I mean, we're not exactly spoiled as far as centres in going Wales at the moment. I wish we could turn a couple of our open sides into centres, to be honest with you. But, <laughs> well, let's um, not go there. We haven't got time. But, um, yeah. but uh, yeah, it, he's a cracking player. Cracking and player. Uh, also, form as well. good for me was Alex Lazowski for Saracens, yeah. who looked, as a full-back, looked very, very handy and very, very lively. Yeah, basically, yet another nail in the 2017 is turning into a right Anas Horribalis for Alex Good, really, isn't it? Yeah, like, yeah. For every winner, there's a loser, and it seems the loser's always Alex Good these days. It's just like not content with losing his place in the England squad a couple of weeks ago. He's now getting the young fly half that was supposedly going to come in and challenge Owen Farrell is all of a sudden looking really good in a 15 shirt. And oh dear, yeah. Anything to go to Saints? Um, I one slight self-indulgent one for me, but um, the Ospreys. Yeah, very because good. Because I know right, it's nobody on. cares about the Challenge Cup, <laughs> but I mean, what value are Liberty Stadium punters getting this season? I'll tell you that they've played <laughs> they played ten games at Liberty this season, and they've skewered, they've got a bonus point uh, win in nine of them, and they're also they've scored nearly ten times more points than they've conceded in the Challenge Cup this year. They scored two hundred thirty three, conceded twenty five. Which is fucking silly, so let's you, be honest. You get all of that and a hauntingly melodic children's choir <laughs> to enjoy while you're watching you're that lucky. as well. If you're lucky. If you're lucky. Not every week. Special occasions. Yeah, they don't bring it out for the Challenge Cup. They know it's not, <laughs> yeah. it's not a big deal. Even the kids' choir are not interested in the Challenge Cup. <laughs> That's how bad it is. The, the one time that they didn't get it this season was when they were playing the Scarlets, when they did have a children's choir. So children's choir equals no bonus point. <laughs> X nay on the children's choir. So um, <laughs> uh, finally, while we're talking about Wales, sort of, uh, Tim Colton got in touch on Twitter and said, what good was, good was Bath giving Ali Brew the night off? Oh, it was He is, and things were taking a turn for the shit for him, weren't they? He needed maybe a minute just to collect himself again. Get back to the world-class talent that we all know is. <laughs> That was the shit good ratings. Thank you very much for everyone that's contributed. You can get in touch with all your thoughts about that to either at Blood and Mud or at Josh Gardner for Josh. 
We're now going to have a conversation with uh, Sean Wilson about South African rugby. Hello, Sean. Hello, Lee. How are you doing? I'm not too bad at all. And we've got you on to talk about South African rugby. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well... Did you brief him about this beforehand, or just have you just have you ambushed him? Really? I, did, I thought we were just catching up. I did, I did say, I did say to Sean, ladies and gentlemen out there, I did say to Sean, look, let's have a quick, a quick talk about South African rugby and how it's all going. And he responded on Twitter with, "So the most depressing conversation imaginable." Said, well, we'll see how it goes. So let's see it go. So looking from the outside in and only seeing, I'll be honest, I didn't see much Super Fourteen last year. I just saw the the national team, and. The national team looked, frankly, fucked. Uh, is it fair to say discuss? Is that is that is that a fair reflection? What would you say? Yeah, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a pretty good description, really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think um, if, if we if we look at the year of 2016 as a whole, I mean, it started poorly, and that end of year tour is, I would say. I've got a pretty good recollection of every rugby year since uh, South Africa's readmission since 1992. And I would put that in the worst. The only one that comes close would be uh, Rudolph Strali's 2002-2003 period, which you might remember from when uh, England pasted the Springboks at Twickenham 53-3. And the Springboks pasted England in different ways. Yeah, Yeah, I was at um, Wales, South Africa at the end of the autumn, and I've could not believe how just it didn't look like a Springbok team. It was weird. Yeah, I mean, Josh, going into that game, that was probably the first time that we've gone that we've gone into a game against Wales with most of the country thinking Wales are probably the favourites going into this today. And I don't yeah. mean that to be too despicable. We had some close oh, games against Wales and have lost a couple of times. But, um, I mean, we lost comfortably to Wales that day. And a Wales team that weren't having a fabulous November a, a, themselves. A bad, a poor Wales team. I've ne- I could not believe how, as a Welshman, completely nonplussed I was by winning. Because it both teams were so abject that it was just kind of a... Yeah, it was just yeah. awful. It was quite and sad. And it felt like that throughout um, November with our opposition, which is really, which is really heart wrenching for a Springbok fan, of course. I mean, England ended. Uh, what was that? That was that was a ten year losing drought that England mm-hmm. ended against us this year, and ended it comfortably. And again, didn't look like a side that got out got out of first gear in that match either. I think the only side that really would have paraded the streets was was Italy for that yeah. win, which is a win, which of course in that's that's right up there with the Japan one of. Um, 2015. What was it like to be in losses as well? What was it like to be in? Is it Johannesburg you're in, Sean? Yes, I'm in Johannesburg. What was it like to be in Johannesburg after that Italy game? Oh, I don't. I don't think any of us went outside. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I mean that was uh, that that was quite depressing. I mean that that would was probably. I mean result wise, that was obviously the the low point of 2016. But I was. I would think the. The worst performance was the one we were speaking of later. I think that Welsh game was an even worse, uh, flat performance. I mean, I mean, the it looks, you know, you know they, they often speak about it in football in irritating ways. When you see like team, uh, you know, terms like lost the dressing room or like toxic environment and stuff. Mm. And but I gotta say the 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 November tour looked more and more like that as that went on. Mm. You know, you saw players bickering with each other on the field. Um, you know, you saw heads drop kind of way too easily. You don't want to say that a Springbok player is uncommitted, but it certainly looked like a bunch of guys not believing in 
the cause anymore, you know. So the only thing that they could, so I mean, the first move of 2017 will be to just rip up the 2016 book, stop thinking of it in four-year plans, which um, I know South Africa is obsessed with, and I think a lot of other countries are overly obsessed with as well. And um, and just start again with thinking for the near future and then moving on to 2019. So it seems to me a little bit like, I don't know whether this is just me from obviously only seeing the box sort of four or five times every year, but sort of since 2007 and that high point, it kind of feels like things have gradually, with occasional sort of bumps, kind of been a little bit of a decline on a national sense anyway since then. Is there, do you think there's any truth in that or is it just... Yes, I definitely do. I mean, definitely from, <laughs> I mean, definitely from the from the national team level. I mean, if we think of it simplistically, the I mean that 2007 side, Jake White's team that was um, victorious in France that year, uh, then went on to the Peter de Villiers era. Who, if one thing was probably, you know, one there were a few criticisms of Peter de Villiers that often came out, and two of them were that he was that that Springbok team ended up being too reliant on what Jake White had done in 2007, and they're just trying to create, recreate, not moving too mm. much with the times, mm. and that he relied on those self-same players too much, mm. and which ended up in failure in the 2011 World Cup with the quarterfinal exit to Australia. Mm. Then we move on to the Heineken Mayer era to 2015, and if Peter de Villiers was relying on the 2007 crop too much, that criticism could only be way worse for Heineken Mayer, yeah. which resulted in seeing a 38-year-old Victor Matfield getting bossed in the World Cup semi-final. Mm. Um, and then it turned into, like, uh, Alistair Kutsia this year. And um, he really just had to kind of... The mass exodus of senior players are from, from the previous national squads level and also in... Um, um, in our provincials and super rugby teams as well. I mean, I mean, I think I I read that the number of South African professional rugby players playing their trade overseas is something like 300. God, that's I mean, that's pretty much six super rugby squads in itself. And if you're playing your trade so, overseas, you're probably of the standard that should be playing super so, rugby so what, as well. So you, what, so you can understand the depth that's being tested. Why? And, um, why? Why? Yeah, why? And it, uh, and it culminates into we can't just quickly pick 15 players hmm. and think <laughs> that we're going to be competitive against anyone, which, let's face it, used to be the case a while ago. So why, why do, why are the 300 South Africans playing abroad? What, what's wrong? What's, what's wrong? What's not keeping them where they should be from a Springbok point of view? Do you think number one number one i think is money i mean the exchange rate it, is right. one thing and and money in south african rugby has just become a, a more growing and growing problem it's had issues with sponsorship which of course snowballs from the from the springboks not doing well um super rugby has had some issues because with the changes in formats there's been such just dis disenchantment from the viewer itself i mean you say you don't watch much super rugby i don't know if you've ever tried to read a super rugby log <laughs> recently with all the conferences and stuff but i mean i i, I have to hand mine into nasa to have it just explained to me every week <laughs> well if it and, keeps going the way it's going um, it'll have a conference on the moon probably soon so you might have to give it to nasa so <laughs> um and and even the curry cup which is which in terms of player exodus is the one that suffered the most in terms of quality mm. of the rugby you know i mean look south african is is of course a rugby obsessed place and it's got a fantastic school feeder system which is not going to stop producing talent on mass in the near future but you can see it's it's 
you know, it's one thing having the talent, but you can see raw talent before it's ready for a certain level. And just every level, the Curry Cup's looking raw than in years gone by. Super Rugby talent is looking raw than in years gone by. And um, definitely the Springbok side is looking raw. So it, 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 it's all pinned down from there. But yes, but, but so the one reason is, is, is money, and the other reason is just, um, I, you know, uh, people want to bandy around political involvement and, and quotas, etc., and racial targets for guys as reasons to leave. I think that's exaggerated a bit, right. but certainly for many, many players, they've, they've felt, um, um, they haven't felt confident that they're going to have a fair crack at selection. And, is it the sort of Kevin Peterson like problem? To different partnerships. The sort of Kevin yeah, Peterson yeah, I mean, problem that I don't think I'm going to get a decent crack at. So just 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 for my understanding, exactly like like, like the CJ Stander modern mm. example right now. You know, he, he was a man very disenchanted. He had a Springbok coach at the time that pretty much told him flat that you're not in my future plans. And mm. instead of sticking it out in domestic structures to have a go at the new coach with Alistair Kutsia, he chose to earn a bit more money and get in the qualification for the island job, which and which doesn't help for South African rugby. He seems to be doing pretty well for himself. So he's, I mean, he's, he well, and for Irish rugby, he seems to be doing okay. For players as well. thinking about leaving, but it's so, a, just yeah. So so it's a it's a bit of a vicious cycle, and we need to make a plan to how we're going to retain players better. So just for my just for my sense of understanding now, are there because I'm not never quite sure, because as you said, quotas and politics is bandied about a lot. But in South African rugby, are there actual quotas for the Springboks that have to be filled? Or is that just a thing yes. that people... So there are? Definitely. Right. They're not made public like the cricket side. The, uh, oh, the cricket side has uh, recently taken the move of saying explicitly how many, um, of, of what the racial makeup of the squad should be which is the 55%, I think. But anyway, it's a set number. Rugby, and a set number hasn't been made public, but um, but, 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 but it is. It, 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 it clearly is there. And surely that's just going to create more problems by not declaring what the quotas should be then, because people are just going to start, you know, making assumptions and there's going to be all negativity and all that sort of stuff. I mean, surely it's totally self-defeating. I mean, I agree with you to an extent, and I think that the, uh, that um, I don't know how much um, you guys follow cricket, but I mean, I mean, this ever since the South African cricket team has made that, not only has it been the side been a more representative of our demographics, but BC more content with ourselves and it's shown in the results a bit. Hmm. I think you're right in that not disclosing these things ends up in second guessing, which people are going to be doing anyway. Let's face yeah. it. I mean, it's been yeah. such a like a. Um, you know, knowing that the system around people are going to be looking at the makeup, and if you fancy a white player in the position as a pundit, and it's taken by a black player's place, you're going to have you're going to have quotas in your mind. You know, mm. now obviously that's a sensitive line to cross. I mean, you don't want a selector to, if he's put in a difficult position like this, to explain constantly why certain players are being put in. Mm, yeah. are, are being given chances for every reason, you know, and that and that doesn't just have to be for transformation purposes as well, you know. You, you don't. Yeah, some fine. parts of of selection are want to be held private because it's also subjective, of course. Mm. So that's fine. So it, it, it is a fine line, but I agree with you, Josh. Yeah. I mean, I think along the lines of just being transparent in what we want to do yeah. is 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 a better way to get buy-in from players as well as the public. I find it quite mm. interesting because I always, I think there's always this assumption from what I find it interesting what you just said there because there's always this assumption with quotas that people have it, that the fans have it foisted upon them. They don't want it or it's and at best it's seen as a necessary evil, if you like, 
Whereas, interestingly, mm. you seem to be saying there, if I understood you correctly, you seem to be saying, well, actually, if you look at cricket, it's a very positive thing. It, it's, created, it's created a successful team. It's created a team more comfortable with itself and more reflective of its country. Mm. And actually, that's a good thing, which is interesting because a lot of the... I'll be honest, people don't really know much about South Africa in, in, in this country, I think. Automatically, assume, oh, you shouldn't have politics involved with sport. This is a terrible idea. This is going to create massive problems. And if I understood you correctly, and please correct me if I didn't, you seem to be saying, well, actually, if you look at cricket, it's a positive thing. It's not just something you have to tolerate. I think so. I think it should. I think it should be used in a positive light, which a lot of things do. I mean, um, most South Africans want a representative side with the entire country feeling represented. And in fact, I'd go as far as to say, any South African that doesn't want a representative side is not welcome in, in modern right. times to support the South African side. You, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and, and with selection being subjective as well, I think what's happened down the years is, I mean, in positions of people of selectors and coaches, especially in rugby, that's been a very white-dominated area. And now I, I don't want to I don't want to call out coaches on being racist, but they um, but they do pick along a coach picks tends to pick along similar cultural lines to himself. You know, you know, right. like a, a young player comes through. You know, it's not always conscious, but guys it's about what you're familiar with, isn't identify. it? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Like you, you, you're not sure about a one position, and you think you're short, and you want a player to like do a job for you. Let's say. Who, who are you going to back to do a job for you out of position? You know, you're going to get a, someone that you kind of, is on more on your wavelength. You know, yeah, it's a hard thing the to describe. But... Before you've got it in your head, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, so I mean, I, I do think some a lot of coaches have unintentionally, of course, mm. uh, uh, picked along more cultural lines because they've been in that position, and some talented players have been held back. This... And personally, I think I mean everyone. What, you know, everyone has an idea of what their what their Springbok team should be. Mm. And usually, my um, my Springbok side that, that I like jot down and I look at it and I pick it completely on merit. And the racial demographics of it are pretty similar to what's being put out in the field. Right. So I'm of the impression of like the guys in form and that are shining in their position are reflective of what the targets are clearly. Uh, maybe not, uh, you know, not necessarily what the racial makeup of of the team should be, but of what's mm. being pinned down on certain coaches. So in that sense, I don't think they should have too much of a problem meeting up with it um, in terms of just picking up merit. But of course, it goes way more complicated than just beyond that. You know, um, it's 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 always a, it's always a sticky issue. But I think, but I mean, ex acceptance of it in South Africa has has to grow. Yeah, so, and I think the thing I think there was a one of the things that was leveled as being an issue with quotas was obviously the selection of the coach who created the worst year that you can remember in South African Springbok rugby, which is Kurt Seer. Was that a quota based appointment? Do you think, or was it more? It was it not quite as it was more nuanced than that. It was well, actually, we do need to start doing something by bringing people into leadership positions. But I mean, they had the Villiers already, so why was Kurt Seer a good coach to a point? I think. In, in, in a generation where there's been a lot of inexperienced South African coaches, I mean, you've, you've probably noticed down the years of South African coaches plying their trade overseas as well mm. at the moment, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so if, if you look at the bunch of super rugby coaches that were there when Kutsia took, uh, was appointed, it was a very green bunch and mm. not much super rugby success, you know? I mean, no one's had a super rugby trophy apart from uh, the Bulls coach at the time, Franz Ludica, who were at the time playing a style of rugby that 
everyone kind of agreed they didn't want to see the Springbok team do. So he would have been out of the running. And purely CV-wise, and by, by that I just mean if you just list up a coach's experience and his um, cups that he had won, Alistair Kutsia definitely did top that list. Who would, with a more like popular choice amongst, amongst uh, folks would have been Johan Ackermann at the Lions, who the last couple of years have transformed themselves into a more open game, which, of mm. course, people want to translate to the Springbok side. So they think that's the fit going forward. Whereas one of Alistair Kutsia's main criticism is that the Stormers side were very defensive-based, didn't really capture the imagination, and got the best results over a period, but never succeeded at super rugby level. You know, right. So mm. a lot of people saw it as a blueprint to fail. But I, I really didn't see him as just a flat-out quota appointment. I do think it was a bit more nuanced than that. And, I mean, the, the man was involved as an assistant coach in the World Cup winning side in 2007. Uh, he was the most experienced uh, Super Rugby coach there. Had uh, had two Curry Cups under his belt, which no other current coach did. Um, so, yeah, hmm. shortly, I do, I do think it was a bit more nuanced. But the man had a tough year since his appointment. Is he still in charge as we sit here today? I'm not quite sure what's happened there. <laughs> Offic- um, officially yes but we're not quite sure uh, my hunch is that he will stay uh, on for, for at least this year and that might All get right, reassessed okay. at the end of the season So, uh, I mean one of the reasons where Alistair Kutsia's sympathy comes in as you may remember he was appointed in April last year which is a very very late appointment mm. for a Springbok coach if you've got a tough test series coming up in June which uh, which we had against Ireland, which ended up being a much tougher test series than we thought we did. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Ended up losing ended up losing the first test match of the year, which was a real shock to South Africans, uh, because that was an Irish side that was wait- arresting a hell of a lot of players. It was like Johnny Sexton and a few others had yeah. a man sent off twenty minutes in at Newlands, and uh, ended up winning that test match, which ended up being a, a, an alarm bell for the rest of the year, and um, and something that oh, they just never rose above. Yeah. Should I say? So you mentioned that he's probably going to be around for another year. So that's you know you heard it here mm. first, folks. The um, the um, <laughs> what moving forward, three year plan and like you mentioned that earlier. How do, how is it fixed? Can it be fixed? Do you think? Um, well, it's 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 not overnight. Now, I say that with a heavy heart, but I mean it's got to be done. Um, I mean there are many many there are many many um, systemic problems that I think have come to head with uh, domestic rugby structures that have ended with the Springbok team playing the way I'm not used to them playing and you guys aren't used to watching. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, it, it's not like it's not like two or three things that just need to get thrown a problem at, you know? It's not like you just go, oh, we got to sort out the Springbok's defense, we got to find a fly half, and we got to organize more training camps, you know? It's yeah. one of those... It's it's one of those. There's there's a hundred things that what, what what's that Clive Woodward thing from years ago? You got to improve one hundred things by one percent in rugby, as opposed to right. a few by mm. whatever the maths was. I forget. But um, but 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 it's gonna but it's gonna take a while. I mean, no one must. Where I think 2017 might be better than 2016 is that all of us have a better idea at how big the problem was. I mean, 2016 took us as quite a shock where the new, how poorly this generation of Springbok side failed when they were clubbed together. Expectations, now, adjustments, basically, ex- yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, no one is going, you know, I mean, no one involved in Springbok rugby is going into the All Black Texas expecting a win this year, you know, <laughs> yes. which might have been... I'm sorry to laugh, Sean, but yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if we... 
if, if we get that down to a 15 point loss mass improvement <laughs> and then we'll look on from there you know so the guys must just lower the expectations of it realize we're not going to win the we're, uh, you know we're not going to win the rugby championship this year it's going to be a tough series it could be a tough series against uh, france in june which we would not usually be used to we'd usually look at that and go three nil um and um, and and we've and we've got many decisions to make in terms of the style of rugby that we want to play because we didn't seem to figure out a coherent uh, game plan or message that um, in the in the South African side because the one thing I didn't mention about Katia but I want to shortly is that most South African coaches have had their pick of um, assistant coaches that they could have. Mm-hmm. Um, and they like like Heineke Mayer managed had like massive assistant staff that all seemed to be uh, from his local union. It was clear that Alistair Katia didn't pick his own assistants, um, right. and was very short in terms of manpower in the assistant spot as well as coaching experience as well. So um, I, I mean, I do think we know why that was? The Springbok side was that we really didn't. Not 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 only were we falling short in quality in certain areas, but we didn't have. But we didn't figure out a successful game plan to work towards. So why, um, why wasn't he allowed? I'm not to... sure if we have yet, and I, but I hope we have. Why wasn't he allowed to pick his own assistants? Do we know? Um, I think a lot of them. Were, I, I think a lot of his first prize choices weren't available. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Rassi Erasmus would have been at the top of his list to be involved in some uh, technical capacity, but he went off going to um, Monster. He's at Monster. Yeah, isn't correct. He? Yeah. yeah. And, doing a um, bloody good job there as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is doing a wild job. He's a he's a lovely coach when you have patience with him, and um, and 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 I think uh, um, and and I think people didn't trust Alex Kutsia in terms of his backline appointments, and they um, and yeah. and they went for and they went for a guy of Zwandile Stick who has extremely limited experience, um, and I think a lot of it was from they. They looked at um, Heineke Mayer's issues and wanted to downsize the coaching staff. And I thought they took that far too dramatically. And I thought Alistair Katia didn't have nearly enough voices in there. Um, I think one man he did get that was his as a scrum coach, Matthew Proudfoot, who was a guy who joined in uh, mid-May, I think, right. something like that. So um, this year might be a year where Alistair Katia shows more of his own voice in the coaching box as opposed oh, to figuring it out. So I'm, I'm not sure if that will result in positiveness. But it will mean that he will be, if he wasn't accountable for all his results beforehand, he definitely will be more accountable for them in the near future. You say something Do you think it's practical oh. going forward to to bring in the sort of home-based player rule, like sort of New Zealand, England, Oz and Wales to a more limited extent have brought in? Is would that sort of is that sort of I don't I know it's not always the salve, but would it help? Oh, are you talking about the availability of overseas players? Yes, yeah, yeah. Level? I mean, yeah. it's a very tricky. It's a very tricky issue. I mean, we. I mean, we we have the problem harder than Australia and New Zealand, which I think a lot of that is to do with the exchange rate. I mean, it's just and and the value of the rand. I mean, it's far more attractive for a South African to do it than it is a New Zealander and Australian. Um, I, I, but a lot of people do equate that hard fast new zealand rule listen if you want to get out the country you don't um you don't play for the all blacks um i i mean if if we did that in this country i think it would be we'd have a very very certainly in the short term we would have an extremely lean talent base to pick from yeah um but then again looking at the last couple of years when we do recall overseas players it's a complicated thing because of course as you know we work on different season patterns like we'll get guys 
uh, you, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get folks at the end of their campaign or we're asking them to go through a full uh, rugby championship. Uh, and yeah. it never it never quite syncs up. It's hard to compare form wise because, of course, the rugby in the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere is different conditions. It's different, it's different paces. Some guys that come from the French league, uh, we know, have all the skill, of course, and they've proven themselves as Springboks. But they come back from a season in Toulon or whatever, and they look grossly unfit for Springbok rugby <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. Or the style that we want to play, or whatever. It, it, it's a difficult thing to sync up having lots of people uh, having lots of people but, overseas. But on a very so, on a um, very on a very there's big... lots of pros and cons to it. But it's I I think it's hard I. I think it's hard to imagine. I just want us to continually beat the drum of a global season, which I think would help oh, lots of problems. Yeah, yeah so we're sold on... foreign players would be far less of an issue if if we were all operating on the same page. We're, we're very much sold on that one on this on this pod, by the way. But mm-hmm. just on a very... I'm sure, a... You, I'm sure you are. You people have had a rainy <laughs> February Six Nations game all your life. <laughs> but in terms... Just, just very very quickly then, to finish off this, this play, home-based player thing, do you actually... You know, a very simple question... If there was, if you leave, you don't play for the Springboks, would that actually make people stay? Uh, I think in the long term, yes. Right. In the in the short term. So there's still enough pull in that jersey to keep people around? I think so. I think so. I mean, I mean most, most of the player exodus is people, you know, just of a certain age that are just outside the Springbok squad or, you know, you get that 24, 25-year-old player who thinks they would have been picked by then. And then they move. I mean, that that's probably the most common def- demographic of someone who's moving. Okay. But I mean, once you are in the test rugby window, some of the big clubs then want to throw some very serious salaries sure. at you. You know, I mean, there's no way Dwayne Vermeulen would be paid what he is now if it if if he hadn't shown himself as a Springbok. You know. Yeah. So it's 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 um, so the valuation of a player. Uh, changes because of the Springbok jersey, you know. But but initially, I, I do think the Springbok jersey still got still got a fair pull for most people to give it a crack. Um, let's talk about very quickly about uh, just to, to finish off and just to box this off really in terms of domestic rugby. Mm. Um, in in South Africa, you mentioned about the the whole you know splintering and fragmentation of the of the Super Fourteen competition. But in terms of, is there any hope in the pipeline? For the Springboks, in terms of how it's structured, the players coming through. I think, as always, we always um, have a strong production line of of folks. I mean, I mean, we probably, I mean, if it's not if it's not the strongest, it must be one of the strongest school rugby systems in the world. Hmm. So, I mean, we'll, we'll always have a, conve- a conveyor belt of talent, and there will be talented kids. Uh, what has what hasn't happened in the last few years is you get that kind of mid bracket senior player, so teams aren't quite. De- developing, you know, the teams have gotten younger and they're not quite developing from older hands in the side. There's been uh, stagnating development quite a bit in recent times. Like um, but, like but, but I mean, have gone to Europe. Yes, yes, very yeah. simply, yeah. And um, and it's and the Curry Cup's probably structured around the old days where guys were playing, where the schedule was kind enough for people to be playing Test rugby as well as domestic rugby. Now, if you're now if you're on the te- uh, regular in the Springbok squad, there's no ways that you can turn out for the Curry Cup. You'll only be able to play Super rugby. Mm. Um, so so there's that end to deal with as well. But I mean, as long as you have a lot of talent coming through there should be hope that you could make a plan with it, you know? So I, th- I, th- I, th- I just think more definitive decisions. Now we bring players through in our structures and talent identification and making sure we develop players by putting round pegs and round holes, et cetera. And just being, 
uh, sensible in each union and with our talent distribution. I, I do think there, I do think there's always hope when it comes to Springbok rugby. I don't think it can ever be a foregone conclusion that will be completely dark. I, I think we, I believe we have um, too much young talent to to say that. Yeah, and the and the world needs. We were saying this on the pod the other week when you know it, seeing them getting South Africa getting a mall in like this. You know, the world needs a strong Springbok team. All of rugby needs a good Springbok team. Mm. As well as you do, obviously, but all of <laughs> all of rugby desperately needs it because it, it keeps New Zealand more honest for a start, and it just is a huge part of rugby. Most people who watch rugby now who've come into rugby in the past twenty years won't remember a time when the Springboks weren't around. Yes, you know, and it's 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 a massively huge part of rugby. And it's it's a, it's a shame what has happened in terms of what would look like a good season for the Springboks in twenty seventeen. Uh, well, let's well, let's start with the series win against France, right? Because that's uh, that that's not a given. I think that's attainable. Um, in 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 the past, anything less than three 0 might have been seen as below par. I think most Africans would take two uh, one right now. <laughs> um, if we could, if um, it, it it seems, I mean, I mean, last year's rugby championship, we won our home games against Australia and Argentina, just both of them, and then lost all of them. Um, if we could. It sounds slightly defeatist, but I mean, uh, uh, odds are we'll lose to the All Blacks. But if there could be less of hidings as they were last year, you know, where the All Blacks aren't just going completely mental in the second half and racking up points for fun, I, uh, you know, I, I think that's an attainable forward step. Um, uh, and 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 beating Argentina twice, I think maybe depending on the nature of the game, people might be patient if there's a loss in Australia. But that depends on the rugby hmm. game itself, you know, and. And and um, I'm I'm not sure what our end of uh, year tour schedule no. is yet. We're due to but play, yeah, I see, I see, but, I um, but but not losing every game like this one. Like this one <laughs> I think it's it's, it's also it's not it's not from the outside looking in. It's not. We said every time we watched a game last year when we re- reviewed games, me and Josh on the pod, and when anybody watched, it was that thing you said earlier. It was just like nobody's. It, I haven't got a fucking clue what they're trying to do. Yes. I can't it see what I cannot see what it is they're told to go and do on that field. I don't know what they've done all yeah. week because there's nothing on that field that tells me what it is they've been working on. You're right. You're absolutely right. And that was what we'd been we'd, we'd been trying to figure out the whole year from the outside. <laughs> I mean, what what I just want is a successful level because you know I I don't I I don't want to necessarily just say like okay cool second in the table or you win so mm. many matches equal or or you win by this percentage or whatever you know i mean that that's based on how the opposition are playing and you want to judge it on a case-by-case basis you know mm. but um but i but mainly just what i want to see is if, if it's not a definitive game plan that they want to stick to the whole year i i, I just want a sense of um, ideas of how they want to carve up the match because it just seems to change week by week. You know, they they they'll have a week where they want to like spread it wide and they'll spread it wide and too early without doing the right, which means you run out of space and get turnovers. So the next week they'll panic and bring in Mornay Stain, who's going to kick you on the corner and drop kick whenever he can, and you might sneak an 18-15 win against Australia if you get that right. But then you take that approach to the All Blacks and they will hammer you because you can't just kick ball to them all day. Then we'll go back to the running style. Um, you know, do you want solid fullbacks that just take kicks or join the line? Do you want big loose forwards that take it up or do you want to get more kind of a cross movement? We saw every kind of style of rugby tr- attempted by the Springboks last year. Just none of it well and none of it being built on properly. 
So you're, uh, so you're rightly, I mean, first of all, we just want to see that there's a, a definite plan going um, going forward. And I think and I think they'll be the first maneuver to get some more um, more patience with um, with Springbok fans and, and those involved above. And that brings us to the end of our show. Oh, Josh? A very interesting way to it. And let's face it, substantially more sense, knowledge and general. Yeah. 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 On it, on everything, yes. Isn't it amazing when knowledgeable people come on the show and what they can tell it's you? Sort of, it sort of puts us in our place somewhat, doesn't it? It does put us in our place on the highest pedestal of brilliance that the world has ever known. <laughs> That's correct, Josh. That is what you That's meant, the, isn't it? That is what I meant. That is, that is exactly what I meant, yeah, obviously. <laughs> Thank you very much, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe, and uh, we'll see you next week when it will be sort of looking towards the Six Nations, but the a different... A, a different Angle on the Six Nations, let's put it that way. So you'll have to wait and see what we mean by that. Intriguing. Yeah. All right, then I'll see you next week. Bye. Always a pleasure, everyone. Take care. Bank of Ireland is looking out for your financial well-being. They want to help protect you from fraud. So whether it's Black Friday, Cyber Monday, or even just plain old Tuesday, be careful online. Don't assume that every text message or email you get claiming to be from a bank, a delivery service or any company is legit. And remember, Bank of Ireland will never send you a text message or an email with a link asking for your full 365 PIN number or one-time passcodes, so don't give them out. Search Bank of Ireland Security and together this Christmas we won't let the fraudsters win. Begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.